It's October 12th. I'm Brian Dean Wright, former CIA operations officer, and this is The Wright Report. Hey, good day to you, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Wright Report, your daily news podcast. I've got four briefs for you this morning that are shaping America and the world. First up, a warning from the terror group Hamas. They issued a call to action for global protests and jihad starting tomorrow. And that could include both protests and attacks here in the United States. Second, the U.S. Pentagon is scrambling this morning to find enough weapons for both the wars in Ukraine and now the Middle East. I've got an update on that. Third, grab your maps because we have a mystery to talk about this time in Europe. There has been another natural gas pipeline that was, well, blown up something. We'll explain to you what happened and why we should care. Fourth, we've got news about America's illegal migrant crisis. Centered on this next shocking statistic, 90% of those folks allowed into this country over the past few years didn't even claim asylum. They were just let in. Later, four pieces of feedback and listener questions about my coverage over the war in the Middle East over the past week, from fake news to some criticism to my explanations about the embrace of Hamas by some Democrats. But first, let's get to our top story of the morning. We have a warning to talk about, ladies and gentlemen. The former leader and a current administrator of the terror group Hamas has issued a global call to action to engage in jihad. Reuters News Service and the Jerusalem Post have reviewed a video of a man named Khalid Mashal. He's a Hamas leader, and they have confirmed that he has issued a plea for global protests starting tomorrow morning. He specifically is calling for supporters to take to the streets and engage in jihad. Quote, we must send a message of rage to the Zionists and to America, end quote. Now, he directed most of his comments to those folks living in the Middle East, uh, saying, quote, Tribes of Jordan, this is a moment of truth, and the borders to Israel are close to you. You all know your responsibility, end quote. That said, he made very clear that it was Muslims all around the world who should heed his call to action. Quote, Muslims around the globe carry jihad in your souls. Fight and be martyrs, end quote. To be very clear, he's calling for things like suicide bombings and mass shootings. In other words, for Muslims to kill and die for the Palestinian cause. In doing so, that would qualify as martyrdom. And to that end, he actually appealed to imams and religious scholars of Islam, telling them, quote, To all who teach jihad, to all who teach and learn, this is a moment for the application of jihadi theories, end quote. And that moment of application, just again to be clear, starts tomorrow. For what it's worth, the video of him making these statements has been taken down on YouTube, but it remains available on other platforms. With that in mind, let me now pivot away from facts and data to my analysis and opinion. Well, as you would imagine, I bring you this news for some very obvious reasons. First and foremost, we are entering into a very dangerous period of time globally, and we should exercise some notable caution over the coming days and weeks as this War in Israel continues and, frankly, expands. Because as I shared with you all yesterday, it's not just Hamas that we have to worry about. It's also Hezbollah and their likely sleeper cells that are spread throughout the world, including here in the United States. 
So I will be watching for this tomorrow and will report details over Substack or on Substack over the weekend if anything happens. Otherwise, next week, I will bring you more. With that, we turn to our second report of the morning. The U.S. Pentagon is growing alarmed about the lack of war material as it is trying to supply munitions to both its allies in Ukraine and now in Israel. Multiple media outlets are reporting Pentagon officials are working around the clock, scrambling to do three things. First, to provide Ukraine an ungodly amount of artillery that they need for their war with Russia, namely those 155 shells that we've discussed previously. Second, the Pentagon is looking to backfill and refresh American supplies of not only that artillery, but other weapon systems, all because we have depleted our stocks to give that stuff to Ukraine. Third, we now have to supply Israel. Now, at present, Israel mostly needs precision-guided munitions and interceptors related to its Iron Dome system. By the way, that knocks down things like missiles and rockets. But that need of more sophisticated weaponry than what we're giving to Ukraine well, that could change pretty quickly once Israel launches its likely ground operation. In other words, Israel is going to need to start competing for those 155 shells as well and in large numbers. Now, Israel does have local manufacturing capabilities, unlike the Ukrainians, but those would be stressed if that ground war in Israel went on for any extended period of time, which, of course, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has warned will happen. So that is why, once again, the Pentagon is going around the world, knocking on doors to see who's got what. And on that note, the Russians, well, they've been knocking on some doors around the world, too, looking for some supplies. And, well, somebody answered them. Satellite imagery out of North Korea shows that Pyongyang has dramatically ramped up its shipments of, well, something to Moscow. And it is, in fact, fair to assume that those shipments include artillery. Indeed, I shared that with you back on September 18th. But to refresh our memories on that report, Russian President Vladimir Putin met with the North Korean dictator Kim Jong-un. They had a private conversation about almost certainly artillery. And sources say that Mr. Kim agreed to this request. Now, here's what's interesting, I think, about this. A couple of weeks ago, Mr. Biden and his Pentagon said that North Korea's supplies would not matter. Right? Recall that then chairman of the Joint Chiefs, Mark Milley, said to reporters, quote, would North Korea's supply of artillery have a huge difference in the war effort in Ukraine? I'm skeptical of that. I doubt that it would be decisive. End quote. Well, now here we are with a war in Israel and a global shortage of artillery, especially that 155. So we'll see if Mr. Milley was correct or his prediction was just a little bit off. One final piece of news on this front. The White House is planning a renewed push in Congress to get more aid for Ukraine. As listeners will recall, the previous ask of Congress was $24 billion, but Republicans in the House turned that down just a couple of weeks ago. Well, Biden's team is back, and they want that $24 billion, plus more funding for Israel, plus more funding for Taiwan and that potential war or conflict with China. In fact, the idea by the Biden White House is to bundle all of these requests into one bill, and then they will package it with money to strengthen the U.S. border. And they're doing this so it forces all those Republicans uh, in the House who are opposed to the $24 billion, uh, billion to Ukraine. Well, it's going to try to force them to approve all of this money for everybody or none of it to include no money for the U.S. border. In other words, a little bit of dirty political pool. But whatever you think of that, 
we might want to remember as we start tossing around these 24 billion, 50 billion, 100 billion dollar numbers. Well, remember the warning that we got on Tuesday from the Penn Wharton budget model? I shared with you their nonpartisan assessment that the U.S. debt levels would be unsustainable and trigger a default within the next 20 years or less. And that less part was based on if we had sudden increases in spending for, say, wars in Europe, the Middle East and Asia, hypothetically. So those are the facts and data related to the Pentagon and the White House's scramble for more war aid and materiel, and frankly, our weak financial position on providing it all. For now, I'm going to hold off on my analysis and opinion. I want to see what the numbers are in these various aid packages that we'll see over the next number of days and next week or so. I want to look for whether or not any of these bills have any offsetting budget cuts or maybe even tax increases to pay for it all. More to come. With that, let's take our first break of the morning. For subscribers listening at rightreport.substack.com, thank you. Meanwhile, for my other loyal listeners, an equal thanks and enjoy the following messages, remembering that if you don't hear my voice telling you about a product or service, then I do not endorse it. We'll be right back. Well, the world is just awful lately, isn't it? And sometimes it makes you just want to crawl into bed and scream into your mattress to make it all go away. Well, if you do, just make sure that your mattress is made by GhostBed. Seriously, folks, GhostBed makes the finest mattresses on the market today with craftsmanship and high-quality materials that you can feel as you fall asleep. And I would know. I have their Lux model, and I bought it because I sleep hot, and that thing helps keep me cool all night long for a great night's sleep. Now, people have asked, how does this technology work to cool you? I don't know. Magic? Maybe little elves in there somewhere with ice cubes? Probably. But it doesn't matter. Their mattresses, ladies and gentlemen, are top-notch. And if you don't believe me, that's okay. They have a 101-day trial period plus free shipping and returns, so you can try it out in the comfort of your own home. So go to ghostbed.com backslash right. That's W-R-I-G-H-T. And you can explore all of their incredible models. And right now, they are giving my listeners 40% off their GhostBed purchases. But you got to use that code right. Again, Go to ghostbed.com backslash right, W-R-I-G-H-T, and get yourself the good night's sleep that you deserve. Welcome back to The Right Report. Let's continue with our briefs this morning with a mystery. And for this one, you might need a map of Europe. Specifically, I want you to look for the country of Finland. That is, of course, in the northern part of Europe. And then just across the Baltic Sea, across the Gulf of Finland to the south, there is the country of Estonia. Of the various things that connects these two countries, one is a natural gas pipeline. It's an 80-mile-long pipeline called the Baltic Connector. There's also a key data cable to transmit some pretty important communications between those places. Indeed, the two lines run from the Estonian city of Paldiski and the Finnish city called Inku. Unfortunately, those two cities are a little bit less connected this morning, and that is because on Sunday, somebody tampered with both of those lines. And by tampered, I mean destroyed. Finnish police and investigators say that it was deliberate, likely an act of sabotage, or, quote, a technical force of some kind, end quote. Now, there's a lot of speculation of what happened and who did it. Indeed, a lot of people are pointing to last year's bombing of the Nord Stream pipeline, which, as listeners will recall, has been widely blamed on Ukraine, but other suspects include the United States. All right, well, that aside, investigators are saying that this latest pipeline damage might be the work of Russia. 
And if so, NATO Secretary General Jean Stoltenberg is saying that the alliance would respond with, quote, determination, end quote. Okay, well, that doesn't sound good. For what it's worth, the Russians are saying that they have no idea what happened. Indeed, the Kremlin spokesman said, quote, I don't know if our special services have any information, but of course, this is quite disturbing news, end quote. Well, disturbing or not, we have a busted natural gas pipeline in Europe again. And in this case, it'll take about five months to repair with Finland now saying that they are going to be reliant on liquefied natural gas shipments to make up for the pipeline loss. So those are the facts and data on yet another mysterious pipeline problem, shall we say, in the Baltic Sea. Let me offer my brief analysis and opinion. And we start with a quick reminder, folks, of why we care about Finland. First, we've got a lot of trade with that country, $11 billion, actually. So odds are a factory or a farm in your neck of the woods has some kind of connection to that trade. Second, we need to care about this because Finland joined NATO last April, meaning that an attack, including on this pipeline, could mean that all NATO members, including us, would have to respond. Indeed, that is what NATO's chief is warning about this morning. So, who could it be that did this to that poor little pipeline? Well, in my view, the most likely culprit would be the Russians. And here's why. For a hundred years, Finland was actually a part of Russia. They got their independence back in 1917, but about 20 years later, the Soviet Union wanted them back, and they invaded. But the Finns, well, they knocked the snot out of the Soviets. That is still a thing of pride in Finland. Since then, Finland has had this very delicate, uneasy relationship with Moscow. But after joining NATO, that relationship got a lot more rocky. So that is why I say with low confidence that Mr. Putin probably knows a little bit more than he is letting on about this very mysterious, well, explosion, damage, whatever it was, because the pipeline and the data cable are pretty much toast this morning. And that is why I will be watching this investigation, because however it plays out, it could lead to yet another spike in problems between Russia and Europe. And to be clear, it is a spike that because of this NATO connection could involve you and me. More to come. Finally, this morning, we return to news about America's illegal migrant crisis with this next shocking statistic. 90% of the illegals that have been allowed into this country over the past couple of years didn't even claim asylum. The Biden administration just let them in. That is the first of three alarming claims that are coming to us this morning from the House Judiciary Committee. Just a couple of days ago, they put out a report and they're basing at least the first claim uh, on this. Since Joe Biden moved into the White House, there have been 2.1 million illegals released into the United States and they were released after presenting themselves to border officials. But of this 2.1 million, 1.9 or about 90 percent didn't make an asylum claim. They just surrendered themselves to border officials. In other words, they didn't go through any initial screening to see if they met the bare minimum requirements to be placed into the asylum seeking process. They were just let in. Now, to be fair, they were given court dates to show up and talk to a judge about why they were in this country. But to remind ourselves, that takes average four years or so from when they walk over the border, on average anyway. Well, in response to this claim from the House Judiciary Committee, the White House is saying that this overall report is, quote, full of lies, end quote. But they didn't address this first claim one way or the other. Instead, they contested a second claim, and that was this, 
that Biden's team has only deported one percent of the illegals who have got a court date and were later found to be inadmissible to this country by a judge. And then there's this third claim. In fact, White House is also refusing to talk about this. The U.S. government has apparently lost track of 2.4 million illegal migrants that have come over the past whatever number of years. Again, the Biden White House is not acknowledging that one way or the other, which seems bad, especially as we think about the call to global jihad that's supposed to start tomorrow. But on a practical level, this burden of illegal migrants is still weighing pretty heavily on cities and states all across America. We've talked about that a lot, but I want to offer you one more example of this. Last week, Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker said that he would divert housing assistance that's supposed to be for Americans, and he's going to send that to illegal migrants instead. And that is because, as he explained, Chicago has about 15,000 or so illegals that they have to take care of, but no money. So he's pulling cash from the housing assistance that's supposed to go to local residents in need, and instead he's giving it to those illegal migrants. So those are the latest facts and data this morning on America's continuing illegal migration crisis. And, you know, rather than give you some additional analysis and opinion, I'm just going to let the facts speak for themselves this morning because they are pretty damning, I think. I don't suppose that you need me to tell you that. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude this morning's episode of The Right Report. But I've got one more thing before I let you go. We'll be right back. Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. Welcome back to The Right Report with one more thing before I let you go. It is a series of listener questions sent to us from my, well, many of my paid subscribers at rightreport.substack.com. Well, this week has been full of lots of heavy news and confusing at times. I've gotten a lot of emails from y'all asking what I think about different developments out of the Middle East. Uh, You know, what's real? What's fake? Well, one thing that a lot of folks have written me about is that story of Israeli babies that were decapitated and whether or not that was real or not. In fact, some folks were saying that sounds like propaganda, probably from the Israeli Defense Forces. Well, here's what I would offer you on that. Yesterday, Joe Biden confirmed that he himself saw the pictures. Now, he didn't clarify from what source, but indeed he said that he saw these decapitated babies that were obviously killed by Hamas terrorists. I will also tell you this. Decapitation is a pretty common tactic used by terrorists, especially and including Islamic terrorists. And I saw it for years. In fact, I remember one of the first times that I ever had to experience this. It was um, a man named Daniel Pearl. He was a reporter for the Wall Street Journal. He was kidnapped in Pakistan by Islamic militants, and he was horrifically beheaded. Unfortunately, I saw a lot of other beheading videos and pictures. Uh, Unfortunately, I had to because we were reviewing captured phones and uh, computers that uh, we managed to grab when we grabbed terrorists off the streets. And so, I don't know, it's just their thing. It is a terrorist's preferred way of both enjoying murder and sending a message. And I I don't know what to say beyond that. It's just who they are and what they do. Second, 
I've gotten a lot of commentary and emails from folks about how the U.S. media is reacting to these terrorist attacks in Israel. One note and and, and one idea in particular that I've gotten recently was uh, specifically regarding a CNN host. uh, Jake Tapper is his name. And he was recently interviewing one of his guests, and he said this, quote, These last few days have been a real eye-opening period for a lot of people, a lot of Democrats, a lot of progressives, in terms of the anti-Semitic views of the left, end quote. And folks were emailing in and asking me, you know, what I think about that, and they were offering their opinions. So I will just tell you that my reaction to what Mr. Tapper said is this. You had to be willfully blind not to see what was happening on the left in this country over the past 10 to 20 years. And I say that based on a very personal set of experiences, and and it's something that I've never shared with you all before. I was a Democrat for years. My family had a lot of very old school, conservative rural Democrats. But over the years, we almost universally have ditched that party because over these past 10 to 20 years, we saw what the left was increasingly becoming. It was, and frankly is, deeply bigoted, anti-Semitic, violent, un-American, and we just couldn't support it. For folks who are interested, by the way, I wrote about this and my journey with leaving the Democrat Party a couple of years ago. The link is in the transcripts. And if you're wondering, by the way, well, what's Brian's bias now? I am an American who just wants to get this country back on the right track. You can call me a George Washington independent. I don't know what I am anymore. The point is this. Democrats have known for years that that they have a radical series of elements within their party, and they have either tolerated that stuff or embraced some of these people and their ideologies to get more power. One of the most egregious cases in point was when Nancy Pelosi got on the cover of Rolling Stone magazine a few years ago, and she sat smiling and hugging with various socialists and anti-Semites that we called the squad, like AOC and Ilan Omar. So, you know, come on. Democrat leaders, they all knew what they were doing. Pelosi and the rest, they made a deal with the devil. They embraced some pretty evil people with evil ideologies in order to get greater power. So Mr. Tapper at CNN can say that suddenly this moment is really eye-opening and it's just shocking for Democrats, but let's be real. They all knew what they were doing and why they were doing it. All right, third, I've gotten quite a few emails about how these terror attacks in Israel could have possibly have happened. In fact, we talked about this on Monday. A lot of you, just like me, are absolutely befuddled. How could the Mossad and the CIA not have known something? Well, to that end, I want to offer you this. There's a report that the Egyptian intel services, the Egyptian government, actually caught on to this likely attack and tried to warn the Israelis. And that could be true. There is one land crossing that the Gaza Strip has with someone, and that is sometimes open to Egypt, so they could have some unique access and information. But I'll tell you one note of caution on this. This whole debate could have a lot of propaganda uh, seeded into it, and here's why. So there are a lot of Arab powers right now, and some uh, Israeli liberals, frankly, who are trying to damage Prime Minister Netanyahu and cause fury amongst his people over what is, frankly, a failure to stop this attack. In other words, they're trying to find ways to sow outrage and internal dissent. So it could be that somebody is leaking a, a fake story that Netanyahu knew it was coming and did nothing, which, by the way, is what he is claiming this morning about this Egyptian intel. 
So who knows? We shall see. But what is increasingly clear is that Hamas had been planning this for a long while, possibly over the past couple of years. There is some reporting out over the past 24 hours that says that Hamas has held a number of meetings, but on a very close hold basis, and only maybe three or four, possibly five people in the entire Hamas apparatus knew that this was coming. In fact, allegedly, they only told their backers in Iran the most bare bones of details in order to keep this operation secret. That could be possible. We'll see more to come. Fourth and finally, I have gotten some criticism that I am not seeing the Palestinian side of things on this. And look, I appreciate that criticism. And that is why I'm trying to do things like including the death counts of civilians in Gaza. And I'm going to continue to do that. And I will also continue to include links in the transcripts to reporting from Al Jazeera. That is an Arab outlet that is very friendly to the Palestinian cause and arguments. And so you can consider that as you would like. And yet, I think that the case is very strong that Hamas does not really care about the Palestinian people and that they don't really care about human life, even their own. In fact, I think that they only care about destroying Israel to get their land back. Indeed, that is what they have argued. And if that sounds harsh or unfair, I would offer you this. I want you to listen to an interview that was given this week by a Hamas official named Ali Baker. And he was talking about their attack plans, how they got away with it, and why they did it, and so forth. And it's really an incredible interview. The link is in the transcripts. But the part of the interview that I want us to consider is this. Here's a quote. The Israelis are known to love life. We, on the other hand, sacrifice ourselves. We consider our dead to be martyrs. The thing that any Palestinian desires the most is to be martyred for the sake of Allah, defending his land, end quote. And I think that is very important to remember, to put everything into context that we hear in the Middle East right now. This is about land and who owns it. We talked about that on Monday. But to just refresh our memories, on one hand, you have the Jewish people. They think that Israel is their land. On the other, you have Hamas and the Palestinians and Arabs generally thinking that, no, it is their land. And nobody wants to budge and nobody trusts the other and everybody's trying to kill the other. At least historically, that's been true. And that is why for the past 100 years, the Arabs overwhelmingly have promised to kill the Jewish people and claim the land. So that's what I would encourage folks to think about as we try to sort through this moment in history, to sort through the propaganda versus truth. It is so important to understand the people and the groups and the nations involved and their motivations. That's why that link that I offer in the transcript to this interview is so important. Because when you listen to that, when you listen to Hamas speak directly, you can slice right through the baloney and ultimately get right to the bottom line. Folks, if you would like me to answer one of your questions on the podcast, it is easy to do. Either donate via my Stripe account, which you will find a link for in the show notes. Just make sure you leave your email and I'll be in touch. Otherwise, go to writereport.substack.com, sign up. And at the bottom of each day's Substack post, you can leave me a comment or ask me a question. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude your morning brief. As always, I will see you tomorrow, God willing. Until then, I leave you with the creed of every good spy and every wise American. 
They're the words from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 32. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Good day. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.